It's the Locked On Aggies Podcast, presented by Locked On Podcast Network, talking all things Texas A&M. Now, here's your host, Cole Thompson. Howdy, everybody, and welcome back into another episode of Locked On Aggies, presented by the Locked On Podcast Network. Cole Thompson here in the driver's seat, talking all things Texas A&M, and today, We're going to be talking about a brand new series, one that we're going to do the rest of the week. It's called Ranks on Ranks on Ranks. We're going to go look at the 2020 season as a whole for Texas A&M football and try and rank our favorite things. Today's episode, ranking the likability of every single game in 2020. Before we begin, make sure you're following us on social media at Mr. Cole Thompson. I am the host of the show. That's my name. Don't wear it out. I love positive feedback, but I love negative feedback even more. It tells me what I need to work on, what I need to change, some areas I can improve, anything to get this show starting off on the right track I want to do for you. So all you got to do is hit that like button on at Mr. Cole Thompson and second at Locked on Aggies. Locked On Aggies is your number one source for all things Texas A&M related content part of the Locked On Podcast Network. So give us a follow, give us a like on Instagram, give us a like on Spotify or iTunes, subscribe to the show, and follow us on social media at Locked On Aggies. There has been some positive news coming out of the SEC. Texas A&M and the other 13 Southeastern Conference schools can resume voluntary in-person athletic activities starting June 8th. The league announced on Friday last week that all SEC ongoings had previously been suspended through at least May 31st due to the global pandemic of the coronavirus. Uh, At this time, we are preparing to begin the fall sports season as currently scheduled, and this limited resumption of voluntary athletic activities on June 8th is an important initial step in the process, according to SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey. Sankey pledged that the league's athletes would be better cared for on campus during this pandemic. He uh, was quoted saying, Thanks to the blueprint established by our task force and the dedicated efforts of our universities and their athletic programs, we will be able to provide our student-athletes with far better health and wellness education, medical and psychological care, and supervision than they would otherwise receive on their own while off-campus or training at public facilities as states continue to reopen. Ross Bjork came out with another comment saying that this was only a positive move for the Aggies, especially the football program that is set to thrive to start the new decade. Texas A&M has constantly gathered input from local health officials and we have been very busy planning for the return of athletic activity. We are ready for this moment and I want to thank our health and performance working group for putting a great plan together. A&M is set to start the season off against Abilene Christian on September 5th for the season opener. According to Governor Greg Abbott, he said last week that college football should return on schedule, even if it means less spectators. So the biggest takeaway you can take going into this week, going into this Wednesday morning, I know we're a little late behind on the story, but the biggest thing is there's going to be football this season. What kind of football? We don't know. And again, we don't know if there's going to be football around the country or just in certain areas. We don't know if California is going to hold out USC or if they're going to hold out UCLA or Oregon's going to say, you know what? Nope, we're going to not going to play. Washington, same thing. The Pac-12 and the ACC could be completely different. Rutgers, which is in New Brunswick, New Jersey, is part of the Big Ten, but they may have to sit out due to the high popu- uh, population of New York and their attachment with COVID-19. 
but that doesn't mean the SEC will have to sit out. What it does mean is there could be less spectators. And for some, this could be a giant positive. You know, for Texas people, according to Governor Abbott, it's basically saying we could have more fans than your average team this season. And maybe that plays as an advantage for A&M in the long run. Overall, when you look at that, those are things that kind of come to mind. Is the stadium going to be filled with 100,000 people? Absolutely not. There's no chance you're going to see that stadium filled with probably at least on September 5th when the Wildcats come to town. There's no chance you're going to see more than I would say about 50,000 people. As we move on and get closer and closer, you'll probably start to see that number drive up. Maybe a little bit. Maybe the closer we are towards you know, getting back to normalcy, you can start seeing 70,000 people, 80,000 people. But when it comes time to face LSU for senior night, maybe you're at full capacity in November. Those are all questions we don't have answers to just yet. But what we do know is with the SEC opening back up on June 8th, it allows for voluntary athletics to kind of continue, but it also allows people in media such as myself to be able to extend, go out, and become a part of the community, get more quotes, get more things to talk about, and have something to push and drive heading into Jimbo Fisher's third season here at the 12th Man. So while we start this off with our Ranks on Ranks on Ranks special, this is going to be the next couple episodes ranking our players, our team, whatever you want to call it, however you want to say it. But today's episode is all about the schedule. Ranking A&M's opponents by level of excitement heading into the 2020 season. We can start off with the easiest one. Coming in at last place, without a doubt, is Abilene Christian. The Wildcats finished 5-7 last year, and while they were able to put together a string of games, a couple wins over teams like McNeese State and Houston Baptist and Stephen F. Austin, two of those games were in overtime. They lost their two big-time games to North Texas, 51 to 31, and Baylor 55 to 27, and they dropped a 45 to 7 egg at Mississippi State late in the year last year as the final game before the Egg Bowl. This is just a team that they're an FCS school. They're not going to wow you on paper. They're not going to have a ton of superstar talent. They're more so a school that just kind of is around. They've been decent. They, they maybe will have a player or two that shines maybe because of it'll be slow and you'll be adding in more pieces along the way. A&M will be able to kind of have, allow them to score maybe a point or two, you know, touchdown, maybe a field goal. But this should not be a high scoring game for the Wildcats. This should be a very easy win to start the year off. A&M's returning nine starters on offense. This should be a game for where they should easily come out and win. It should pretty much be, let's see what we have in the future with our quarterback situation by, I would say, no later than the seven-minute mark in the third quarter. Coming in next, North Texas. Seth Luttrell's squad better be ready for a hard-fought game that September afternoon when they come to Aggieland, because last year was a sign that they are not heading into a right direction. They finished 4-8 last year. Their wins included Aveline Christian. They won against UTSA. They were able to beat the likes of UTEP, and they got a win over somebody uh, uh, in Mill Tennessee State. That's it. They were a 4-8 squad. They kind of very much regressed from the 7-5 and five season they had two years prior. It's just not a good team anymore, and I'm not sure that you're going to be able to see Seth Luttrell save his job. This is one of those t- games where it's not a trap game for AM. It's more so, all right, 
if we don't score more than, I would say, 40 points, especially with the way the defense looked last year, they averaged, the defense allowed on average, I think it was 31 points per game, 32 points per game. If you're under that, you are definitely in a loser column for a sense. Only because of you have an offense that's coming back that is stronger than ever and minus two receivers, which again, Anaya Smith, if you really want to move him back to receiver, you could. You're really only losing one key component in Courtney Davis. You should be able to put up 31 points. Those two games are going to be out of the way, of course. One's in the Conference USA, one is in the Southland FCS Conference, so not many people are going to want to talk about them, but when you get to bigger conferences and bigger opponents, that's where the conversation really starts to kind of heat up. So why don't we go and we'll break down who are our next in line in just a quick moment. Howdy, everybody. It's Cole Thompson from Locked on Aggies. And much like you, I'm trying to stay in shape during this quarantine without going to the gym. But part of staying in shape is by having the right nutrients added to your body. And I think I've recently found something that really is not only great tasting, but great for me. And that's in Built Bars. Built Bars are more than just a tasty treat. They are a protein-packed power bar that keep you going throughout the days. And they come in 16 amazing flavors, all covered in 100% real chocolate, plus they're soft and easy to chew. Built Bar is great for the health-conscious guy because it helps you lose and maintain your weight while also having a delicious flavor added to your mouth. The bars are low-calorie, low-sugar, high in protein. Let me give you my favorite example for the peanut butter brownie. Comes with 20 grams of protein, 170 calories, 3 grams of sugar, and 3 grams of net carbs. 3 grams of sugar. You're not going to be able to find that anywhere else. Why don't you go ahead and try your favorite bar by going to BuiltBar.com and using the promo code LOCKEDON to get $10 off your first order. Remember, that promo code is LOCKEDON for $10 off BuiltBar.com. So go ahead and try your favorite Built Bar today. Not only will you be building muscle, you'll be building confidence in yourself to look better when it comes time for summer season. Gig em, y'all. Locked on Aggies presented by the Locked on Podcast Network. Cole Thompson here in the driver's seat talking all things Texas A&M. Guys, let me get your opinion on something. Do you like quality podcasts with people who understand exactly what they're talking about and know exactly how to present news to you? If so, why not listen to a Locked On podcast? The Locked On Podcast Network has over two dozen college sports shows, plus coverage around the NFL, MLB, NHL, NBA, and all the up-to-date information for your Fantasy football season in 2020, so go ahead, hit that like button, subscribe on iTunes or Spotify, and start listening to your favorite team every single day. Every single day is a Locked On Podcast day here on the Locked On Podcast Network. We're moving right along in our Ranks on Ranks on Ranks series. Today, we are breaking down, ranking the 2020 schedule by the likability of the game. We've already mentioned Abilene Christian will be the final game. Uh, number 11 is going to be Tech North Texas. And coming in at number 10, Fresno State. Last year was not a good year for the Bulldogs. And Kalen DeBoer, the former offensive coordinator at Indiana University, is going to have his hands full. The team finished 4-8 and last year with losses to USC, Minnesota. And their only kind of really big wins were against New Mexico State, uh, UNLV, and the Hawaii Rainbow Warriors. They got... Blown out by Colorado State. Uh, they lost pretty close one to Utah State with Jordan Love. This is a kind of a tough game, you know, because a lot of their games were close, but they also played in a very horrendous conference. 
But then you look at some of their games, they won games close as well. They only had four wins on the year, and UNLV was their biggest win, 56-27. Every other game, including Sacramento State and FCS school, they only won by two touchdowns. You want to see more from that, and with DeBoer taking over, uh, a brand new head coaching change is always positive for the program, but it doesn't mean it's positive in year one. It just means somewhere down the line, you expect better results. This is a team that is in a very big rebuilding mode. They're trying to find their their footing in the Mountain West Conference. They're kind of just around. They're one of the lesser teams right now, and this is going to be a win for AM during the middle of the season. Right after they have their stretch of start of games against the SEC schools, they're going to want to be able to come back and have a pretty decent game against somebody that they can kind of gain their confidence before they face off the next set of SEC opponents going into October and November. So this is kind of like a restart game I think you would be able to put. Coming in at number 9, Vanderbilt. A lot of people would probably think I was going to say Colorado here. Vanderbilt is a worse team. Vanderbilt has so many problems on both sides of the ball, and Derek Mason was brought back to try and salvage his season. I don't think you can. I think when you look at what Derek Mason has going into a must-prove-it year in the SEC, he doesn't have a starting quarterback. Riley Neal transferred from Ball State last year. He was supposed to be the answer. He was not great. The only other really sound player on that team was Keyshawn Vaughn. He's gone. He was drafted third round by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. There's not a single offensive player that stands out for Vandy this year. And that's going to be a long game. Vanderbilt also, you look at their schedule, it's not an easy one. I mean, don't get me wrong. They're going to have to face A&M, and of course they're going to have to face the likes of Florida and Georgia. But they also have Ole Miss, who, this could be a very interesting game. Lane Kiffin's coming to town. That could definitely change some things up. And they also have to face Kansas State and Missouri. Again, you look at their schedule right now, when you look at the likes of Kentucky, they're kind of a mid-range team. South Carolina, mid-range team. Tennessee, on the rise, hopefully. It's not an easy game. It's not going to be an easy game. For South Carolina, it's definitely not going to be an easy season for South Carolina. So I actually think that they are a worse opponent right now heading into the season than Colorado. But coming in at number eight is Colorado. If I was to rank this game last year, this would have been one of my favorite games for AM. This really would have because of I love LaVishka Sinal. I think he's a fantastic wide receiver. Steven Montez really had the offense going towards the end of the season under Mel Tucker. Everything was kind of clicking for Colorado at the right time. And then, season ended, 5-7. and seven. It looked to be a rebuilding year. You know what? If you have to lose Chenault, you know you're going to lose him. Montez was a senior. You knew he wasn't coming back. It could be a rougher game going into 2020, but it still could be a very good game because Mel Tucker, former Georgia defense coordinator, former Alabama defense coordinator, uh, defensive backs coach, Works very well with Kirby Smart. Has played against AM multiple times. Knows the program. Knows Kyle Field. Because he's traveled there. Is coming back to Kyle Field. Until he took a job up in East Lansing to become the head coach at Michigan State following the Mark D'Antonio scandal. Now you have Carl Doral, the former UCLA head coach and the former uh, Miami Dolphins wide receiver head coach, uh, wide receiver coach, 
now coming in to be your head coach, not having an offseason to really work with his players, not having a lot of time with the recruiting trail because Tucker left right after that whole thing happened. It was a big blow-up. And this really hurt Colorado's, not only stamina, but this hurt the program in the sense of how are you going to be able to better prepare for a team in the SEC, even though you two played against each other with the history of the Big 12, this is a brand new team. And the only people that you had, your star receiver, your sound quarterback, and your head coach who has a pedigree in the SEC and got the job at Colorado because of what he did in the SEC, isn't there. This is a game that just feels so cringeworthy for Colorado with everything going on around the world and everything going on with the program right now. This is not going to be as good as a game as I expected it to be. If this game was played last year, would have been one of my favorite games of the year for AM. Coming into this year, it's right in the middle. It's it's towards the back end, but it's right in the middle more so than anything else. Number seven, Arkansas. Listen, the Southwest Classic, whether you love it, you hate it, it's always a burner. It's always a game that is a trap for AM. It always has been since the game has been played at ATT Stadium. And maybe that's Jerry Jones' plan to try and get Arkansas a win in the SEC. But the only reason why this is ranked ahead of Colorado is because of there is a quarterback from the SEC who transferred to the program and will be a better fit than Nick Starkle ever was. And that's Felipe Franks. Felipe Franks, former Florida quarterback, had season-ending surgery last year to replace a hip and a leg issue, if I'm not mistaken. Now he's going to go into a program with Sam Pittman, who is known for building offensive line. A few years ago, when Brett Bielema was still the coach, Arkansas had not only one of the best offensive lines, they had the heaviest offensive line. And that's where he's going to get his bread and butter. If he can build these guys up and he can get them on a workout regimen, he can get them, you know, eating their eating their meals properly, the offensive line's going to be good. And you still have Rakeem Boyd in the backfield. This is a 1,000-yard rusher. And you have an established quarterback. I do think Arkansas will be better this year. The defense is in shambles still. So they're not going to be a 6-6 six and six win team. They're probably going to be a 5-7, and 4-8 and eight win team. But they're a scrappy team. And the biggest thing of all is that you can never count them out when playing A&M only because of the sheer fact that when you play an AT&T Stadium on that neutral site, it's kind of a fair game. And it always has been. It's always been just a fair game for both these programs to kind of slug it out with each other and see what can happen. Who's going to come in into our final six? We have six more teams to rank. Only one more segment left, so don't go anywhere. We'll be breaking down our top six games for A&M by likability in just a quick moment. Locked on Aggies presented by the Locked on Podcast Network. Cole Thompson here in the driver's seat talking all things Texas A&M. Guys, make sure you're following us on social media at Mr. Cole Thompson and at Locked on Aggies. We're going to move right on through in our Ranks on Ranks on Ranks special. We still have six more teams to get through in their likability for the 2020 schedule. So coming in at number six, this should kind of be maybe a little bit of a surprise, but I'm actually going to go Ole Miss. I know Lane Kiffin is going to be something fun. I know that the team has now their face of the future. Matt Luke was always just kind of an odd fit there. He wasn't, you know, a big-time coach. The play, He was a player's coach. A lot of players loved being underneath him. And they've had some time to develop more talent after losing the likes of guys like Dawson Knox, A.J. Brown, D.K. Metcalf. 
they now have the chance to really step up and shine this year, especially with a very unique and fun coach in Kiffin. But again, Matt Corral has to improve as a passer. They have to establish a running game. Scotty Phillips isn't going to be back. And most importantly, I think the biggest one of all, you have to f- establish who your quarterback's going to be. Because if it's John Reese Plumley, he's going to be playing a lot of wildcat formations. And while Lane is a guy who I definitely think can work with anyone, I'm not sure that his system fits Reese Plumley. Of the two quarterbacks, Coral is a better fit for Kiffin. But Reese Plumley is a much, much, much more fun quarterback to play to play with. So personally, I just don't know how they're going to use their personnel on offense. And this seems like a very easier game for AM than it was in the past, only because of they still have a lot of things to learn. And again, all these new coaches kind of coming in, if you don't have that time to develop with your players, June 8th, yeah, you know what, this, the school year is coming back. You're going to be able to have people back on campus. That's still not enough time to really build a roster, especially with a brand new head coach. Number five, South Carolina. Will Muschamp, I've said this for a while, he has to be an approved year. At some point, South Carolina has to look back and just go, you know what, this isn't working out. I really like what I saw from Ryan Helinski last year coming in for Jake Bentley. And with Bentley completely gone, this is now Helinski's team. But again, they're losing a lot more than we know. Javon Kinlaw is just one of the multiple pieces that they're going to lose. They're also going to be without the likes of Brian Edwards, and they already lost Debo Samuel. So you're kind of given a quarterback who was injured last year, didn't have the best stats, The biggest thing that he had was that overtime victory where he didn't even finish the game against Georgia. This is kind of a game where this is A&M's SEC East rival, and I put rival in quotes because of they're nowhere near each other, but it's just how the schedule plays out that they face each other every year. So maybe there'll be some sparks. Maybe there'll just be some type of enjoyment in South Carolina because the game's going to be at William Bryce. Not really sure. Last year was kind of a snooze fest until the third quarter when Cordarian Richardson kind of broke out, had his 200-yard game. I don't love this game, but this should be an easy win for AM. And if AM fans travel well, if they're able to get into the stadium because of, you know, Corona slowly opening up, you got to remember this game is going to be at the very uh, middle of October. This should be kind of a fun game, at least on paper, I would say. And there should be an easy win for AM. Coming at number four, I'm going to go Mississippi State. Uh, I almost wanted to go with Auburn here, but Auburn at least has pieces coming back. Their defense is going to be missing people, but the offense, this is going to be still a pretty fun team to watch. With State, you don't really know what you're going to get. Mike Leach is air raid, West Coast style, what he was able to do in Pullman, Washington, what he was able to do for the Texas Tech Red Raiders. It's kind of like a poetic justice that these two schools are meeting back up. The only sad thing is that this game is going to be in Starkville. It's not going to be at AM, which would have been fun to see Leach kind of make his return to College Station from his days in the Big 12. But overall, they got KJ Costello, who at one point was considered one of the top quarterback prospects in America, and he knows the offensive style. This could be one of the few times where having a transfer quarterback and a new head coach coming from the same conference and seeing each other work against each other, now working together, 
will actually keep a team afloat. I like this so much more than I like any of the other hires made this past offseason because of, again, Sam Pittman's a close second, but he was an offensive line coach. He wasn't a coordinator. He wasn't a head coach somewhere else. So him and Franks, they're going to have to find a way to work together. With Costello and Leach, they've played against each other. They've seen what each other can do. And they have enough film from each other's past where they can look and say, okay, here's how, here's what Leach runs up at Pullman. Here's what I ran at Stanford. Where do we match and kind of come in similar? This could be a trap game for AM. This would be the one trap game for AM, not in the top three. Coming in at number three, Auburn. Again, Auburn's losing a lot of defensive players. Noah Igbinahe, they're losing Marlon Davidson. They lost Eric Brown. But on offense, they're kind of coming back strong. And with another year under Bo Nix's belt, this should be what we expect for the future. If Auburn wants to contend in 2020, then what they're going to have to do is they're going to have to show the quarterback position is not going to be a trouble position. This is going to be a game and a team that can win on all four elements of the field. Offense, defense, special teams, and time management. Bo Nix's biggest problem last year, besides his inability to pass downfield, was his time management skills. His drives would end so fast, he, w- he wouldn't have given his defense enough time to kind of adjust when they give up a touchdown. Whether it be they scored really quickly, Auburn, or it was a three and out, time management's going to be a big thing for Auburn this year, and I wonder how much that's going to play a factor into this A&M game. They barely beat A&M last year, and they held the lead going into late into the fourth quarter by, I think it was two touchdowns. A&M could have a definite resurgence and pick up that win that they probably should have gotten last year in College Station, this time in the Plains of Auburn. Number two, Alabama. Alabama's always a fun game. It's Nick Saban. It's Jimbo Fisher. The two have so much history together from the days at LSU. Alabama is just another power contender. It's so weird not seeing them in the college football playoff because of they've only known that. Again, a lot of people like to make fun of the SEC short about Alabama crying. You have to realize they've only known the playoff. That's it. That was their first year last year where they did not go to a New Year's Six Bowl and they did not go to the college football playoff since 2014. They've been in everything since then. And while Mac Jones is no Tua Tungavailoa, he established himself as a very sound starter. If he doesn't work out, five-star, five-tool, do-it-all, possibly better quarterback Bryce Young is sitting waiting in the wings. This is going to be an Alabama team that is hungry for one more title. Nick Saban's getting up there in age. I don't know how much longer he plans on coaching, but if anything from last year showed that he was slipping up at times, it's kind of showing the slow coming of an end of a dynasty in Tuscaloosa. So this could be a proper moment and an equalizing moment for AM to finally pounce and get their second win all time against the Crimson Tide and for Fisher to finally get his win over the likes of his mentor. But number one, easily, every year, it's going to be this way. It's going to be LSU. LSU, two years ago, was in College Station for a game-tying touchdown drive as time expired to Courtney Davis. Seven overtimes later, A&M got their first victory over the Tigers in school history. That game went on for so long, people were falling asleep in the stands. It was well past midnight when the game was over. Last year, 
Joe Burrow and company. Joe Brady comes to town. That offense is the most dynamic offense we have seen in a very long time. That offense is so stellar, it breaks records. And Joe Burrow consistently is adding more to his record, to where it will never be broken. And also, plain and simple, they won the national title. They are the reigning champions. They lost a ton this offseason. Jamar Chase and Derek Stingley are their two best players returning. One is a rising junior who is going to be easily the number one wide receiver in America this year. And the other is possibly going to be one, if not the best quarterback in the nation this year. This is a team that just is fantastic. All the way around. But because of they've lost so much, including Joe Brady to Carolina and defense coordinator Dave Aranda to Baylor, this is a chance for AM to kind of hit them where they hurt. Last year, they were embarrassed that senior night. This year, AM can do the same. And if everything goes according to plan, you can expect those fans to be loud, proud, and that stadium to be filled to the brim. Because this is a cutthroat game. And this game will always matter more. I promise you. Every single time. You could say Alabama. You could say Auburn. You could say Mississippi State are all better games. But for popularity standpoint, you're not going to get better than LSU A&M. It will always be until one of the two is just dog crap awful. It will always be LSU versus A&M as a must-see television event. That's going to do it for this edition of Locked on Aggies. Make sure you're following us on social media at Mr. Cole Thompson and at Locked on Aggies. And while you're at it, make sure you subscribe to all of our great conference shows, including Locked on Pac-12, Locked on Big 12, Locked on Big 10, Locked on ACC, Locked on SEC, and of course, last but certainly not least, Locked on College Football. Tomorrow, A&M, top five offensive players to watch for in 2020. I can already tell you, Kellen Mond is not number one. He will not be number one. He will be in the top three, but he will not be number one. Who is number one? You're going to have to come back and listen tomorrow. We'll see you then. And remember, can't get me all. This has been Locked On Aggies, presented by the Locked On Podcast Network.